Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, welcome to our Sunday morning gathering at First City Church, morning after Christmas style. Uh, for those of you who might be less familiar with me, my name is Paul, and I serve as one of the pastors here. So, so Thomas mentioned uh, in, in the pastoral prayer, corporate pa- prayer portion of our gathering, uh, praying for two disciplines, uh, reading God's word and being committed to prayer. Uh, so in light of that emphasis on prayer, um, we're actually going to enter a sermon series next week, learning from the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the Gospel of Matthew. That's often referred to as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. Join us as we get into how Jesus teaches us to pray. Now, in addition to that series, we also want to invite you into one of our rhythms that we're going to be reintroducing at First City Church, gathering as a congregation to pray once a month. In 2022, we're going to be able to move that gathering from our offices to the worship space of First Baptist Bellevue in Old Town, thanks to their generosity. It's a little bigger space. That's going to take place from 7 to 8 p.m., typically on the first Monday of every month. So for January, get January 3rd on your calendar and join us as we spend time pleading and praying before the Lord together. All right, so to begin this morning, in light of all the kids in the room, welcome kids, by the way, I I want to do some audience participation. Now, adults, this does not mean that you're excused from participating. I expect you to as well. So, by show of hands, how many of you enjoy opening presents? Right? Yes, me. I think many of us, nearly all of us, enjoy pulling apart the wrapping paper and seeing a gift. You get to experience how someone thought of you. You get excited about how you may be able to play or use or wear whatever gift you received, even if it is Christmas socks. We all enjoy receiving gifts. Okay, now second question. How many of you enjoy waiting to open presents? There's a, cu- there's a, cu- there's a few of you, okay? Not nearly as many of us. Waiting is hard. Even even when we're waiting for something we know will happen. You know, some of you are impatient, so you peek and you pull open wrapping paper prematurely. You, You search and seek out gifts when no one is around. Waiting is hard, even when we know there is something that is so good to come. So as we turn to reflect on the Word of God at the end of this Christmas season, we're going to consider an individual who waited, who experienced what we call the blessing of waiting, and who had that waiting fulfilled. It's a fitting end to the Advent season, a season we reflect on the first coming of Christ, awaiting that has been fulfilled, and we look forward to and anticipate his coming back, 
a waiting that has not yet been fulfilled. So to consider this individual who waited, we're going to conclude our Songs of the Savior series. If you're less familiar with that series, we've been exploring the singing of songs as a way to introduce the story of Jesus Christ in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. We've looked at Mary's Magnificat, her song magnifying the Lord and rejoicing in God, her Savior. We looked at Zechariah's Benedictus, a song blessing the Lord for his faithfulness and mercy. And we looked at the angels Gloria, their song declaring glory to God in the highest and peace to those whom God favors. In each of those songs, we heard the good news of Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. This week, we're going to consider Simeon's song, or what has sometimes been called the canticle of Simeon. As we listen to this final song, we'll find it declares to us as God's people, on the other end of waiting is something beautiful, something glorious, something powerful. It is worth waiting for our salvation, our ultimate salvation, our ultimate rescue, the redemption and the renewal of all things. In light of us maybe having shorter attention spans this morning as you work to digest all your Christmas goodies, and with having more kids in the room, my goal is to be a little briefer today. We will make some observations about this man named Simeon and the singing of his song and consider some implications for you and I, but I will not have three points or even two points, but I do hope to have a point. Okay, I don't want I, I to be pointless, okay? Anyway, as we, as we explore this theme of waiting and this passage surrounding Simeon's song, our big idea is compliments of Pastor Chris, who you may or may not remember was planning to preach on this text last week, okay? So our big idea is... Those who wait for salvation will see salvation. If you have a Bible, open it up to the passage read earlier, which is Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. So we're introduced to this man named Simeon in verse 25 with a description that he is righteous and devout. This is language that is used by the author to describe people like Simeon and like Zechariah and Elizabeth, the, the parents of John the Baptist. It simply means that these individuals were upright, virtuous, and kept the commands of God. Simeon was a guy known for standing up for moral behavior. And he was also known as someone looking forward to or how this is translated in other versions, like the English Standard Version, waiting for something called Israel's consolation. Simeon was waiting for a future salvation. Those who wait for salvation will see salvation. So waiting, waiting can mean a couple different things. One dictionary definition is, says, it, says it this way. The action of staying where one is or delaying action 
until a particular time or until something else happens. Okay, the, the action of delaying action seems kind of ironic or paradoxical. Staying where one is. It's like the action of not doing anything. I think we tend to think of waiting this way. Right? So let me, let me give you an example. I have talked about being a big fan of Nebraska football. I mean, they have been so good in the past. Five national titles. Hawkeye fans, you don't have that. Neither do you Bulldog fans. Texas Longhorn fans, you don't even have that. Although you, although you claim five. Imagine that. You claim more than you have. I am waiting for Nebraska football to be good again in the midst of some really lousy football. I'm waiting for them to regain respect and return to national prominence. But in the midst of that, there is really nothing for me to do. And them returning to prior success is not grounded in a promise or prophecy, although some predict such a possibility. This is not the type of waiting Scripture is alluding to. Okay, let me, get, let me give you a different example. My beautiful wife says she is going to meet me at noon at Umami, one of our favorite places to eat. So at 10 a.m., a couple hours prior, I am not delaying action. Instead, I'm active, expecting and anticipating meeting her. I'm looking forward to being in her presence. I'm excited for that to happen. I relate and react and respond differently when my expectation and my anticipation are rooted in a promise rather than a prediction of a possibility. When the Bible refer, uses the language waiting to refer to Simeon, that's what it is referring to. Simeon is waiting for, the, the, the writer refers to as the consolation of Israel. See, there were prophecies and promises found in the Old Testament communicating that God would send a Messiah one set apart to comfort or console God's people. Simeon was familiar with those prophecies. And while he had not yet experienced their fulfillment, and he had no idea when they would be fulfilled, there was anticipatory activity taking place within him. Because Simeon believed God's promise of salvation, he believed those promises were trustworthy, and so he trusted. Simeon waited, expecting and anticipating a future deliverance or salvation or rescuing of God's people. And so he affirmed, those who wait for salvation will see salvation. In the midst of this waiting, it was revealed to Simeon that he would not see death before he saw this Messiah. Now, it's important to note, Simeon was not waiting because that was revealed to him. That expectation and longing and looking forward, it was present before. What was revealed to Simeon, hey, that thing that you're waiting for, that thing you're looking forward to happen sometime in the future, that thing you're expecting someday, maybe not even during your lifetime, 
that thing you're longing for, you're going to see that Messiah before you die. So one day, the text tells us, guided by the Spirit, a second thing is revealed. That Messiah, his parents were bringing him into the temple to present him as an offering. When that happens, Simeon, Simeon takes that Messiah in his arms. He takes that Messiah in the form of a baby, draws him near, and he begins to sing. Those who wait for salvation will see salvation. Simeon's lyrics emphasize how this baby is the source of God's salvation. He is comfort to the people of Israel, and he is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. This reference to the Gentiles, unless you're with us and you are Jewish, it is good news for you and I. Prior to this point in history, while there were non-Jews who experienced calls to repent from people like Jonah and Jeremiah, God's promise that a seed of Abraham would come to be a blessing to all nations and God's promise that a future king of David would be a king to all nations had not been fulfilled. Gentiles were left on the periphery. But as Simeon sings, he recognizes this baby is not just fulfillment of a promise to the Israelites, but fulfillment of the promise in full. More than a blessing to the nation of Israel, he is a blessing to all nations. In Christ, you and I, people who are part of the Gentiles, we experience salvation. We are, are no longer waiting, and so we can sing. Those who wait for salvation will see salvation. Of course, you and I know, while salvation has come, that salvation it is not yet complete. We live in a, a period people sometimes refer to as already, but not yet. Our source of salvation has already come, but, but we have not yet experienced our ultimate salvation, the restoration of all things, when there will be no more sorrow and no, no more sadness. Simeon blesses Mary and Joseph after singing about this baby being the source of salvation, and he acknowledges that days of sadness and sorrow are not yet a thing of the past. This baby will be a source of division. Some will receive him, some will reject him. There will be ongoing challenges. There will be ongoing chaos. There will be ongoing confrontation. So, so there is an ultimate salvation promised to God's people that we continue to wait for, that we continue to expect, that we continue to anticipate, and that we continue to look forward to when our joy will be complete. So in some ways, Simeon's song is incomplete. The Savior has come, but, but like Simeon, God's people today wait expectantly for a future time when God's promises of ultimate salvation will be experienced. And so we continue to affirm, even today, those who wait for salvation will see 
salvation. Now, this waiting characteristic of Simeon contrasts an alternate disposition that you and I tend to embrace. We want instant gratification. We do not have patience for God's purposes and plans to play out over weeks or months or years, let alone decades and centuries. One pastor I know describes how many of of the stories of redemption he encounters are 10-year stories of redemption. They do not happen overnight. Seeing someone rescued from the pit, that may happen in a moment, but there are many events over time that often lead up to that moment. We don't have patience for those stories of salvation to play out over time. We do not persevere at trusting in the midst of trials and challenges. Rather than a song like Simeon, we sing a song sung many years ago by a girl named Veruca Salt in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the original one. Don't care how, I want it now. I should be pain-free now. I shouldn't have to deal with disappointment now. I should be prospering now. The the dreams and hopes I have, at least the ones having to do with healing from sickness, health for my family, absence of suffering and sorrow, I should experience that now. Pastor Paul Tripp refers to such a disposition as nowism. Because of the presence of sin, we forget and dismiss promises God has made about the future. Here's Tripp. Sin produces in all of us a tendency towards nowism, which means we forget three things who we are, betrothed to Christ, what he is doing now, preparing us for the final wedding, and what we are supposed to be doing remaining faithful to him. When we focus only on what we want now, we fail to solve our problems and we cause more difficulties. A common factor in depression is self-absorbed nowism. Anger is often fueled by a self-righteous nowism. Fear and anxiety are strengthened by an obsession with the here and now. Maturity and perseverance are weakened by a now mentality. When you neglect God's promises for the future, when you embrace nowism and you encounter problems personally, heartbreaking situations, things like disease and disability, Failed marriages, failed friendships, conflict with people you know and love, dysfunction and difficulties at work, challenge raising your kids, people not, expecting, people not accepting Christ who you long to be saved, you tend to turn inward and become self-focused, filled with self-pity on the one hand or self-sufficiency on the other. Or, or you become others-focused, and your heart becomes filled with envy or anger or bitterness. Either way, 
Either way, your gaze is focused on earthly circumstances, and you do not cry out to Christ to come. Similarly, when you embrace nowism and you encounter other people with problems, struggling with anxiety and fear and disappointment, you will tend to offer shallow advice focused on how to change earthly circumstances and fix particular issues. You will not sit and suffer with others in their grief. You will not have biblical categories of longing and waiting in the midst of sadness and sorrow. So you will get impatient with people, shut them down, dismiss their pain, and offer simplistic biblical cliches like, hey, everything happens for a reason. Like Job's friends, we, we propose unhelpful and insensitive spiritual counsel. In challenging circumstances, we do not help others wait and long and cry out to Christ to come. I was, I was talking to a friend recently um, who has a mother experiencing a significant recurrence of cancer. My friend my friend, she said, it does not look good for her. What do we tell her in a moment like that? What, what would you say? If you were in such a situation, what, what would you tell yourself? Hey, don't be anxious. Uh, God, God will work it out all in the end. Responses like that are not necessarily wrong. But they are shallow because they tend to dismiss the significance of sorrow and sadness in our hearts. Biblical emotions that we are welcome to experience. Waiting, waiting invites us into something deeper. Experiencing the depths of discontent while rejoicing at, at God's salvation that has come and will come in the future. God has not abandoned with us. God, excuse me, God has not abandoned us. He is with us and he will come again. Waiting is what God's people do, knowing God loves you, knowing God loves his people, knowing God is working all things for the good of those who love him, knowing God is inviting his people to feast with him, knowing God will use even evil for good, and knowing when we encounter circumstances of earthly suffering and sorrow God will bring it all to an end and he will wipe away all sadness and sorrow from us. In waiting, we trust God and his promises because he is trustworthy. In what ways do you need to reject nowism? In what ways do you need to be formed into someone who embraces this disposition of waiting? Someone, as Pastor Paul Tripp says, who does not forget or neglect who we are, betrothed to Christ. What he is doing now, preparing us for the final wedding, and what we are supposed to be doing, remaining faithful to him. How would your ministry to others be different if we didn't quickly offer one another solutions, but instead were present with one another in the midst of pain and unanswered questions? If we took time to cry out to Christ to come, 
to wait and anticipate and expect and long for something different. Waiting is countercultural. It can, it can seem confusing because it, it requires us to look up and believe that God is trustworthy in the midst of what seems like contradictory circumstances. I wonder for Simeon, did others laugh at him? Did, did they think he was crazy? Right? Waiting was a distinguishing characteristic of him. Was he dismissed for being an old guy who after years of disappointment, of not having encountered this Messiah, that, that he was still trusting and waiting for God to rescue and redeem? In the midst of circumstances that were lousy, the nation of Israel was occupied by a foreign power and chaos and confusion and conflict were the norm when what, what he was longing for seemed so far off in the distance. He embraced something countercultural and he waited. Unlike those who embrace nowism, he did not forget who he was, he did not forget what God was doing, and he did not forget what he was supposed to be doing now. So examining the character of Simeon, listening to his song, it affirms to adopt this disposition of waiting. God's people must gaze upwards to remember God's promises, to not allow earthly circumstances to define present perspective or our outlook on the future. God's people must look up and trust God and trust his promises. Such trust is countercultural and can seem contradictory. Listen to Dietrich Bonhoeffer describe such a disposition in his book, God is in the Manger. Reflections on Advent and Christmas. Look up, you whose gaze is fixed on this earth, who are spellbound by the little events and changes on the face of the earth. Look up to these words, you who have turned away from heaven disappointed. Look up, you whose eyes are heavy with tears and who are heavy and who are crying over the fact that the earth has gracelessly torn us away. Look up, you who burdened with guilt cannot lift your eyes. Look up, your redemption is drawing near. Something different from what you see daily will happen. Just be aware, be watchful, wait just another short moment, wait and something quite new will break over you. God will come. Those who wait for salvation will see salvation. Examining the life of Simeon, we learn much of what it, look, what, what it means to look up in light of how the story ends. Waiting ends in our joy because God keeps his promises. He has kept his promise to be a light to the Gentiles, which is salvation for all people. 
Because God keeps his promises, that means we don't wait in vain. The reason Simeon had the experience he had in seeing Jesus, singing spontaneously with joy, is because he waited. Simeon is the model for how we engage Advent. Waiting in faith and hope and receiving in love and joy. Those who wait for salvation will see salvation. It's encouraging to have a model like Simeon, and it's helpful to know that this disposition of waiting, it's not foreign to our Savior. The Son of God, Scripture tells us, resided in his heavenly home until the fullness of time had come, until the moment was right, he waited. He was betrayed and beaten. He endured the suffering and sorrow on the cross, the most tragic circumstances on earth, and he waited. He descended into the grave, and there he stayed, and he waited. And that waiting was answered three days later with an empty tomb. He waited on God's promise to rescue so you and I would be rescued to him. So you and I can proclaim those who wait for salvation will see salvation. Today our Savior sits at the right hand of God this very moment, interceding and pleading before our Heavenly Father. And he waits. He waits to return a second time, to come in glory and righteousness as he has promised to do so. And his people wait, longing and anticipating and expecting him to come back soon. Those who wait for salvation will see salvation. Christmas is this season of giving and receiving gifts. And for, for the Christian, for you and I, reflecting on the most significant gift we have ever received, the coming of our Savior. But it is also a season of waiting, longing for him to return. And so we anticipate, we expect, we look for him to come back. We cry out to Christ, come. There is a, a day on the horizon when we will feast in the presence of our king. When God will work all things for the good of those who love him. Those are promises we look forward to. And someday, like Simeon, we will sing spontaneously when they are fulfilled in full. Let us hear his words this morning. Those who wait for salvation will see salvation. Let's pray.